0: You are listening to episode 358 of the GNU World Order. My name name's 2 and in this episode, we're going to talk about Groff. G-R-O-F-F. That is the GNU version of Troff. T-R-O-F-F. We'll get to that after a little bit of listener email. So, I got an email from Bernard, I think it was. Yep, Bernard. And he says that, um, he's glad that it's great, in fact, that I have a use for GPhoto, 2, but he personally found it too cumbersome. He uses now a nifty little program called Simple MTPFS, which mounts the Android mobile, so you can use it just like any other USB device. I don't know if it can be found in the repos of your favorite distribution. Uh, Bernard is on Manjaro and he got it from AUR which, uh, the AUR is sort of the Slack builds of the Arch uh, slash Manjaro world. The project source code can be found on github.com slash fatina, that's P-H-A-T-I-N-A slash simple dash M-T-P-F-S. Greetings from Sweden. Thanks, Bernard. Great tip. This is a cool little application. I checked it out upon his his uh, recommendation. It is not in Slack builds and I I didn't think to look for it anywhere else like in a on my work laptop or anything Uh, but I just downloaded the source code because it seemed pretty easy to compile and to get running at least that's what what the github readme made it sort of uh, seem like. It it, generally speaking is pretty easy to get going but there are a couple of notes that um, I, I guess I'll I'll mention, because there are some steps that are not listed in the readme file. You probably would have figured out the steps, uh, especially if you've heard this... Sh- uh, I think I did an episode. Maybe it was a Hacker Public Radio episode, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, about autotools. And um, if, you, if you know how to use autotools, then you'll, you'll figure it out. It's not too hard, but if you don't, or if you just don't think about it, because the instructions on the GitHub readme are pretty explicit. It says, do these steps... And so you might think, okay, well, those are the steps I need to do. And you'd be kind of wrong, because you need more to do more steps than what they say. So here's what we'll do. Um, I will uh, go to a terminal, and let's see if I can get to where I downloaded this thing. Uh, I'd better make a directory called, uh, let's, actually, I don't have to do that. I'm going to move simple mtfs.tar.gz into a little folder here. Okay, so I've got uh, simple Dash MTPFS downloaded 0.3.0. That's the version that I've downloaded. That's the latest release. The GitHub is a little bit deceptive. You'll, if you go there, you might think, if you, you know, if you're, if you're looking at the dates and the sort of the apparent activity of the project page, you might get a little bit concerned about sort of. The, the the most recent major activity seems to be a bunch of you know like four years ago, six years ago. There is one here, um, five months ago, however, and and that that is the latest commit uh, on as of the recording right now. About five or six months ago, uh, January sixth is what, what what is what the date is, and um, I'm not too concerned about that because I figure my my feeling on that subject is that if something is working, then there doesn't need to be a bunch of frivolous activity on their repository page. I remember for a while SourceForge, during, during the worst parts of their downfall, they, they started doing weird things like making arbitrary updates, it seemed, to projects... And I I seem to recall a statement by them saying that they did that so that people wouldn't think projects were abandoned or something weird like that. I, I probably shouldn't say that without finding a reference, but I do remember there being some unusual activities on SourceForge where it would say that something has been you know recently updated, and you'd look at it and it wasn't really recently updated. It was very strange. So I think there's a there's a little bit of a danger to to start falling into this trap of oh this. Repository, the source code, the homepage of the source code isn't active enough. So th- therefore, I guess the project's dead. I mean, if you go to slackware.com and look at the front page of that, you would you would assume that the project was dead. And it's just not a, a a good sort of measure of 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 the health of a project, I don't think. So you go to the page, you go to the releases. There's a 0.3.0 version. You download that, and then you untar it. So tar xv f simple mtfs dash simple mtps that's that did it. Now, according to the build instructions, all I have to do is make a directory, and they call it build, that's too much typing for me, I'm just going to call it b, uh, and then cd into b, and then dot dot slash to get back one level, so back into that main place, configure. Well, it says no such file or directory, so... What's happening here is that we need to set up the project, the 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 AutoMake infrastructure here. So go back into the main root directory of of the project, the main project directory, and uh, you'll want to do autoconf no auto reconf dash dash install dash dash verbose, and that generates a couple of different files. It, it generates the um, configure.ac and um, Things like that. And then you can make your build directory, whatever you want to call it. I just call it B for short, and then dot dot slash configure. And this time it should configure correctly. Yep, there it goes. It has configured correctly. It tells me that the prefix is going to be user local, which is fine for now. Temp directory is temp. That's fine. Knows where the USB bus is because we've got libUSB installed. I have the fuse, um file system thing installed, and I forget what the other dependency, oh, C++11, that was the other one, and that's fine. So yeah, that's that's all done. Now, we can type make, we could give it, you know, I don't know, six jobs, or well, let's do four jobs. It compiles the software, finishes, it's got a couple of warnings in here, something about a zero size array, so a couple of minor issues, but nothing to be too concerned about, I don't think. And then you can install it. So uh, I'm not going to install it directly because I'm on Slackware and I don't have to do things like that. I can just make a package out of it exactly from from its source directory. So I'll make a directory in my slash temp directory, slash tmp, and I'll call it simple-mtpfs-0.3 Dot zero- dash x86 underscore 64-1 because it's the first time I've built this package actually it's not sorry I'm lying to you it's actually dash2 because um, I, I built it before I recorded this episode and then underscore SMI which is my the tag that I use for slacker media.info uh, so that now exists and I should be able to do a make install and then all in capital letters dest equals slash temp slash simple mtffs blah 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 dash two underscore smi and that's a very quick process then i can change directory to my little build folder in temp or my 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 destination folder in temp I, i'll do an ls here and it looks like there is a local, uh, a user local uh, file structure. There's a bin directory where the command is found, and there's a share directory where the man page is found. Which is weird because I didn't, I don't remember finding a man page for this, but that's fine. I guess I, I, I guess maybe I should have changed the man path. Probably either way, it's there. I can do a sudo slash sbin make pkg-l y-cn, and then I'll tell it where I want to save the file that I'm creating, and I'm just going to put it back into slash tmp. So slash tmp, and then I'll give it the same exact name, simple dash mtfs, and so on. But I'll end that with txz. Press return. Oh, I don't need this sudo for that i don't think actually anyway uh and then i'll do a sudo slash sbin install pkg simple mt uh, slash tmp slash simple and so on uh, i'm not going to actually do that because i've already got it installed now i could i could upgrade it or something but i'm not going to so that was the install process pretty straightforward all told i mean if 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 it wasn't for that extra auto reconf step, step that they don't mention on the readme page, it would have been exactly as stated on the uh, readme page combined with sort of the the usual Slackware ma- ma- make, pag- make package magic. I really wanted to say the word magic there and I was trying to get it in at every turn. The make package magic magic that just takes a folder with a file structure in it and makes it into a Slackware package. It's very, very useful. This is uh, one of the reasons I love Slackware so much, because of that process right there. Okay, so it's installed. What do we do with it? Well, turns out uh, it's, I guess, maybe maybe superficially... um, Similar to GPhoto2 in a way, uh, at least the workflow is so simple. Dash MTPFS dash dash list devices. Now, oh, my phone is not on right now. Okay, I'm gonna need to have that on. But anyway, I'll talk about this this list devices command while I start this thing up. Um, so the dash dash list devices probes your USB ports for an MTP device. If it finds one or, or more, it prints those devices to your terminal. And in, in this case, uh, speaking from previous experience, you do you do that and you get one uh, colon and then the name of your device. Or, yeah, the, the a string representing your device, or the category of your device. Interestingly, the string that it gave me back was the exact same string as gphoto, which Kind of made me wonder if this was hooking into um, into libgphoto, and if you do a ldd on simple mtpfs, it doesn't seem like it is. Uh, what it is hooking into is libmtp, which I didn't even know I had on my system. Um, but there you go. That's 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 probably where it's getting those those names. I could be wrong. It could be something else but that's kind of my guess. I I didn't really look into all of the possible... I mean, I figure it could either be libMTP, I guess maybe it could be libUSB, but it could also be like libFuse or something, who knows? Um, Or or even UDEV, for all I know. I'm really just not sure where, what, what component of either libGphoto2 or this one is responsible for finding the, the that that string, that very recognizable string. It also could be that it's a recognizable string because it is being broadcast from the phone itself. Um, that that could be sort of the reason. and and that's just the the obvious thing. like when you're probing f- for a device, the thing that you get back, you know, is generated by the device. So maybe that's why i'm I'm recognizing it. I, i'm I'm not sure. Okay, so my phone is back on in real life. And we're going to do the next step, which is so I've got my my device listed. Um, now the the next step, according to simple dash mtpfs dash dash help, it does suggest that I need to look at a device and then mount it at some location on my hard drive. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt to do that. And the first time I attempted to do that, I just did exactly what I, I guess. What you might think one would do uh according to the help, and that is simple dash mtpfs, dash dash device, quote, one colon space, Samsung Galaxy models MTP, close quote, dash dash verbose slash mount slash floppy. Or or wherever. I I put it in floppy because I figured I won't forget that it's in floppy because what else do I use that for? Uh, which the answer is actually quite a lot. I use it for a lot because I think, oh, I'll never use that, so I always use it. Um, okay, and it tells me 20200611 error cannot mount the device to mount floppy. So the reason for that is because I've got... I, I don't have the permissions that I need to do that as a user. So if I do that as Pseudo, then it tells me a little bit more information. And I should add, actually, that I added the dash dash verbose flag. Uh, without the verbose flag, it fails silently, which is not usually the, uh, the expectation on Unix, usually you succeed silently and fail verbosely, so you really do have to add that verbose flag because you're not gonna hear from it otherwise. Okay, so now now that it's failed, and, and it's failed with pseudo-permissions, it has attempted to contact my phone, and in fact, if I look at my phone screen, there's a message on it saying, allow access to phone data the connected devices will be able to access data on this phone. So I'll click allow, and then I will turn back to mtpfs and run the exact same command. So that's sudo simple dash mtpfs dash dash device, quote one colon, name of the phone, name of the protocol, or, or, you know, the exact string that was given me after dash dash list dash devices, Uh, dash dash verb, close quote, dash dash verbose slash mnt slash floppy hit return, and it takes over my prompt. So that was another thing that I didn't quite expect. I thought it would be more like, um, well, the mount command, I guess, where it gives you back your prompt after after it after it does the thing that you've told it to do. But it actually dominates to the prompt. So that terminal is used. But, uh, I'll just open another tab here in console and do an ls of slash mnt slash floppy, and it says that permission is denied. So obviously I need to work on what users can access this stuff, because that's not really working out for me so well. But I do see that there is there, there are two locations listed in Floppy now. One is card, and one is phone. And if I do an ls on card, I see files there that are recognizable to me as things that I have on the SD card in the phone. And if I do an LS on the phone, I see files that I actually put there um, with GPhoto. So those are very recognizable to me. I remember putting those on last episode. So there you go. Um, and that's simple MTPFS in the, I guess, simplest of demonstrations. I mean, I've, that's how much I've used this application so far. It is, it it has been complete, it's been pretty much as long as it's taken me to explain it here, is exactly the amount of time I spent on it before pressing record on this episode. So I've not, I've not used it in real life, I've not used it to copy data over, I've I've just been... Basically, I just wanted to see it working because Bernard was recommending it. So I thought, okay, I'll try that. And uh, yeah, it looks pretty good. I I can see the appeal of this. I can see why uh, someone would prefer this over GPhoto 2. For instance, GPhoto 2 feels a little FTP-ish, if you know what I mean. Like, it's a a little bit... Like, you know that device is out there, and you know there are locations on the device, and you can kind of probe it for some information, and it'll get you some... It'll it'll list some things for you, but it has to be in a certain exact right place, and so on. This is really... This is, like Bernard said in his email, this is like any other USB device. This might as well be a hard drive. And that's a real... That's a nice convenience. That's quite nice. Um... I, I would need to work on permissions to make sure that I'm actually able to interface with it as a as a plain old user. Um, and it it is it's it's a nice little feature. I think I I could I imagine it could be useful. And I say I imagine because I'm not going to use this. Um, this isn't my workflow. And I I completely understand why GPhoto2 wouldn't be someone's workflow. I do feel maybe like that's the that's the abnormal. Choice, but um, f- for what I do put onto a f- onto a phone onto a mobile device, G-Photo Two is, is that's exactly my workflow. I've I've collected things on a computer and then I suddenly realize I really want to have this on the phone so that I can look at it later today when I'm out, or or I want to listen to this uh, podcast or or this. Uh, this demonstrate you know this talk from a conference. I'll, I'll put it on my phone because I've I've grabbed it with YouTube-DL or, or something and and I have converted it to just sound only, or rather I've I've just grabbed the sound from YouTube-DL, and and I want to to listen to it later as a podcast. Slap it on the on the device, and that's. That's just kind of what i do and then i delete it from the device itself and that's kind of the workflow and sometimes on the rare occasion i'll download something on the phone and need to get that over to my computer and and i can either use gphoto 2 or more likely i'll just use the share to computer android app that i i think i briefly mentioned in the previous episode i i don't see myself using simple MTPFS. it's almost too much it, it's more than i need in a way but i can totally see how in a different situation i would actually I would absolutely love this, because when you have a device that plugs into the USB port of your computer, I think it is a completely reasonable expectation, if the device has storage on it already, that you would be able to interface with the storage that you find there, just like any other device. I don't think that that's... um, An unreasonable expectation, and I think it's a huge failing of mobile uh, devices, as I said in the previous episode, that it needs to be this complex. I just, I really dislike that. I, I don't like that it is clunky in this way. But that's where we are, and I guess these are great workarounds. If that's a silver lining, I guess that's great. Either way, I mean, I do, just for the record, I think we could do better. I think we could do better mobile devices, I think we could do better, in lots of different ways. Now, we should talk about Groff, but trust me, you're gonna want a cup of coffee for this. I have a lot to say. I'm gonna need a cup of coffee. Let's break, come back, talk about (laughs) Groff. acquired. I hope that you have acquired coffee for yourself as well. Let's talk about Groff. I'm not going to give you a history lesson of Groff or Troff because I don't know that much about it. And if I told you anything about it, I would just be reading something off of Wikipedia and I don't feel like that's worth me doing. You can look that up yourself. I didn't bother looking it up. It calls itself a document formatting system. And that is kind of an important principle to understand, is that Groff is both the command and the format or or the syntax, if you will. And and here's the thing about the graph or I guess technically the trough format. It is horrible. People nobody likes it. It's um it's it's ugly, it's it's clunky, it, it isn't intuitive, it can be uh, it's it, it's difficult to read, it's not it's not something that's very easy to to remember. There there are just lots and lots of reasons why you might look at at Graf, Trough, whatever, and think, well, this is an archaic format, and no one should be using it in the modern world. We have so many better tools for doing this thing. And indeed, we, we, we truly do. We, we have lots of tools to essentially uh, produce the same kinds of results uh, as as what you get out of Graf. I mean, to, to name a few, DocBook... ASCII doc, that's two. I was gonna say common mark, or markdown, but, um, I, I feel like I always say those, and then have to tell you why I don't actually like them, but that I use them on a daily basis. So, um, there are better tools, though. Now, here's the thing about those tools, though, and this is why you might actually think, oh, latex, that's another one, you might actually think Grof has certain um, attributes to it that maybe are advantageous. the 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 fact about those tools are is they require a pretty hefty toolchain underneath them. I mean, not not to produce them, and that's pretty cool. Uh, to produce those things, it's it's pretty lightweight. It's you know you need a text editor, and and you just need to kind of remember how they work. You can do that. That's pretty easy. I mean, especially something like. Like Common Mark, that's really easy to to remember. ASCII doc, RST, that sort of thing. That's a little bit tougher. They've got a little bit more specialized syntax thrown in there. But you know, if you're working on something that requires specialized syntax, then maybe that's that's just the the price that you have to pay. Docbook uh, potentially a lot more complex uh, depending on 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 I guess how often you use it. And um, well, no, even if you use it a lot, I mean, there's a lot of tags in there. I mean, I've got I use DocBook also on a daily basis, and um, I, I keep the DocBook manual on on my little e-reader, uh, my InkBook, and I look at it when I am not sure about a tag. I look for it for the, the inheritance and the child elements and the valid parent elements and all that stuff. Um, so making them is pretty easy, as long as you sort of remember how to do them, but then you have to, you know, if you want the output, that, that you you want to get it out of that markup or markdown language into whatever your actual delivery mode is and and that usually does take a a a a robust tool set It, it depends again there's a caveat here there's always a i guess there's caveats to everything but there's you know if all you're trying to do is transfer it to i don't know html maybe that's not such a big Toolset, like for for Markdown, for instance, uh, you can you, you you could get a Markdown to HTML converter pretty easily. I think, in fact, if memory serves, the original Markdown command, the, the Perl script, was is uh, for Markdown to HTML. I mean, that was the default expectation was people will be going out to HTML. And, and that's why, to this day, you can insert HTML into your markdown document and have a valid markdown document. So that that's It's completely integrated and considered fairly normal. I mean, frankly, it's practically essential in, in some cases. So you can get rather lightweight. But if you think, well, I want to go out to HTML, I want to go out to EPUB, I want to go out to PDF, I want to go out to plain text, you're starting to look at a tool set that, that starts to get a little bit heftier. And by heftier, I, I, I could mean like a gigabyte of Haskell, Haskell libraries that you might have to download and compile. Uh, I might mean for DocBook, um, a, a, an XSLT processor and a f- potentially uh, several different tools to convert your output into some other format like uh, FOP, to go out to PDF uh, with LaTeX, you might need a, a PDF engine to go out to PDF. You might need I don't know something else for EPUB. I, I've never gone from LaTeX to EPUB before. Don't know much about it. So there's there there's an inheritance, or there's a there's a, a debt there that you have to pay eventually of of a, a specific tool chain, possibly schemas, different engines, whatever. It can get complex. Groff, if you look at it, if you don't look at it too hard, it, it's a pretty, um, I don't want to say self-contained, but it, it's, the, the tool chain is pretty simple. Y- you get Groff, and now you have the tool set. Now, granted, if you want to go out to a bunch of different formats, you're going to need different macros, and uh, so, some some extra bits that you'll have to cobble together, but on the whole, I feel like certainly if you, if you sat me down and said, okay, you've got two hours to install a toolchain for a robust documentation system and you gave me the choice between pandoc and groff i would take groff in a heartbeat because pandoc i don't even know if you can compile all of the different haskell libraries that you need to end up with a valid pandoc installation in two hours it's it's that that much is required for Pandoc. Docbook, I might be able to. I, I could probably swing that one potentially. That that said, I've never compiled FOP or, or assembled FOP from source. I've, i I always just download the jar file that they provide or whatever it is. I don't. It might not even be a jar file, but it, it's 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 already compiled. It's all ready to go. So I wouldn't swear to that one. But Groff, it's it's kind of kind of elegant in, in a weird way. And I don't mean the format, I just mean the, the tool chain. Okay, so that's what I had to say about Groff, really. I mean, in terms of sort of why would you look at Groff? Well, that's, that's potentially why. You might look at Groff because you don't want to have to worry about very elaborate systems that will process the, the, the text that you are ostensibly trying to simplify for yourself okay so graph what does it do well it, it reads lines of text and it the the primary function of it is to uh, collect words strings from your input and fill the lines of this you know each line with those words it justifies those words uh, to the right-hand margin by inserting extra spaces in the line to account for, you know, to, to, to meet that margin, uh, and then it outputs that result. So if you gave it a file that says, hello, and then uh, hard return, or carriage return, whatever that's called, uh, line break, uh, world, and then you, you sent that through graph, then you would end up with a line that read, hello world all in one line now you know you know how in back in like html1 days there were and I, i've never actually used html1 to my knowledge but let's pretend like i had uh and so some of this might be a little bit wrong but you you know back in those days you, you would be able to you you would have a tag right and you would do a, a paragraph tag you'd open that tag p and you'd write your sentence, hello world, and then you might think to yourself, and I I don't even think you had to necessarily close that tag, if I'm remembering correctly. I think you could, maybe that was a quirks mode, but I think you could just leave all your tags pretty much dangling. Um... And and then you might decide, uh, well, what if I wanted world to be bold, emboldened? So you might go back and you see so you've got the p tag and it says hello, and then you might put a b tag for bold uh, in front of world, and then you'd close it, I guess, after world. And and then and then when you looked at that that text in a, a browser, you would notice that hello was one one uh, font face, and uh, world was a, a slightly different font face, and that was pretty neat. Well, that's kind of the the method that you might use in in Graf, except instead of um, instead of uh, p tag for paragraph and b tag and so you do ft which i th- I think I imagine stands for font. I wasn't really able to tell or to find um a great reference for for what all of these little abbreviations meant. Sometimes the GNU manual sort of spells it out, and then other times it, it kind of skips over what it means. But the um, the, the .ft um, request is what it's called, and then the argument to that request is some other thing. So it, in, in other words, you might do um, hello and then .ft Capital I, no, uh, we want bold, right? So capital B for bold, and then next line world. Now you have created a sentence that starts out with the word hello in its normal um, Roman um, font face. That's what they call it, Roman. Dot F T R would be for Roman, I for italic, B for bold, uh, and then world would be on the same line, uh, and it would be in Bold. And that is kind of the typical syntax for graph commands, or, or as they're called, requests. Not all requests, as far as I know, necessarily... Well, no, I should say not all requests require an argument. So for instance, you could you could say um, you could do a dot SP for instance, and that would that would create a that would create output when you when you encounter several lines, they would be spaced single spaced. Let's say you wanted them to be double spaced. then you would do dot SP space 2 and that would space things. Every other line, you could do .sp3, and that would be whatever that's called. I don't know what it called It's called after double space. I've never seen anyone do that before, but you could do that. Uh, and that's that's a request. And then the there's an argument. So um, many of the requests are happy to take a request without an argument. They have some kind of default uh, argument, I guess, sort of set in. Um, and others re- require some argument uh, for, for more information. Uh, and, and some, some don't, re- don't need an argument at all. For instance, dot, uh, dot BP is a page break, or a break page request, and as far as I know, there's no argument, um, either required or, or even permitted for, for the BP. I could be wrong. Again, I was, I had a really hard time finding, uh, maybe I just didn't know what to look for, but I, I was not able to find a, a really good kind of master list of all the of all the the requests. So, oh, and actually, it looks like I'm I'm looking at my reference here. It looks like .dot um, sp one point five i would be um, a further argument that you could say one point five inches per line. So that would that that can space each line by a certain a certain measurement rather than by line count that's kind of interesting Uh, that's probably good for um well i guess for layout i was thinking of like a title page maybe where you want sort of maybe the title and the author and you know i don't know the publication date or something you kind of want it all spaced out in a certain way so that's the the format the you've got text and then you've got these these special things that that you can insert into your text and and you can kinda consider them as, as commands or again they're actually called requests. And to me that kinda strikes me a little bit it, it, it kind of feels like HTML in a way, but it also kinda feels like uh, latex from what I've seen of Latex. Because I, I do I have noticed in latex documents a lot of times there's like a lot of yeah sort of structure in the in the text file about formatting and, and that reminds me of this. Okay, so here's the, here's, uh, I guess, a partial list of, of some of the some of the requests, um, or, or macros, as they, they appear to be called as well. Um, I, I guess the macro is the thing that provides the request, probably. So um, there are macros, for instance, .th, for a title of a specific, uh, a title heading, I guess, must be what it stands for, again, they don't really seem to give the mnemonic for what <laughs> what it is. They hint around it, but they don't exactly spell it out. So .th, I'm assuming, title heading, possibly. You can set the title of the man page to a title, and or, or the, the title of a section to a section, uh, which must have a value between 1 and 8. The value of section may also have a string appended, for instance, .pm, to indicate a specific subsection of the man page. .sh is to set up an unnumbered section for a, for a, um, well, it's a heading for an unnumbered section. That's .sh. There is also .ss, which is just a heading. So that's the unnumbered, subsection ss uh, heading tp is an indented paragraph with a label that's important this is you'll see this in, in man pages a lot now i won't be able to find it no actually you can if if we even just go to man graph um you'll find for instance uh anything where it's saying dash you know, where it's giving you an option, dash D, arg, set default input encoding. That's what they're, well, actually, that one, no, that is, I think that's that's one of them. Dash E, preprocessed with EQN, that's definitely one of them. The label, or the, what do they call it? Um, uh, Dot TP, indented with label, yeah. So the label is dot E, and then the paragraph itself is indented, and it's the it's the actual in this case the explanation so the you could think of it as a key and a value almost maybe you know the dash e is the I guess key and the preprocess with Eqn is the value that didn't actually work out quite as well as I thought it would but um, yeah this is this is that's a very common thing in man pages because you've got the the thing that that they're telling you about and then the thing that and then the explanation of that thing. Uh, let's see. There's a bunch of other stuff. I could go on and on, but, I mean, there really it's just a bunch of different dot, two letters, and then some argument, and, and this is, um, a great list of macros, it, like I say, it doesn't, doesn't exactly tell you how to remember any of them, that, that, you're, you're just gonna have to, sort of, remember that yourself, and, and that can be difficult sometimes, uh, I have found. But aside from that, it is a good list of the things that you can do with Grof, and it goes on for a while. There's, there's a good number of, of options here, and this is good for the screen, and it's good for printing, amazingly, and I think that's kind of one of the m- most surprising things about this, is that is that it, it can go to both. It, it, you Because know, I, I think of Grof as a man-page format. That's kind of what I've... That's always the format that I've heard it being referenced as a man page you do it with graph i mean that's that's what it's for i just kind of kind of thought that was all it was for i didn't exactly realize it was it was specifically like one of its targets you know is a printer a postscript file dvi file that sort of thing so it's it's not uncommon for for this to for this to actually be used at least in theory or maybe at one point um to, to have that formatted uh, for printing. And there are lots of different options to set your page size and your margin size and, and, and so on. So for instance, get to the macro page here. Um, the dash in R is the method that you would use to set the margin. And you could do, for instance, a top margin, dot uh, in capital H, capital M, I think that's header margin, 1.5 uh, I, That's for 1.5 inches. If you work in centimeters, you could you could uh, you could replace the i with a c, although you'd probably want to make it more like, I don't know, 5c instead of 1.5i. Um or whatever it would be 5, I don't know, 5 4 whatever it would be. Um, and then you can do the footer margin as well for the with fm. So that would be .nr fm and then, you know, 5c or, or whatever you wanted to set that to. So you can you can you can set this stuff for your your page, um, it is rather it is rather absolute. There's I, I don't know of a way to make it relative. So if you're printing this on an A4 size paper versus an A5 or A6 size paper, as far as I know, your your margins are going to be the same across both both sizes. That seems like a a weakness to me for sure. Um, but it is something that you could do okay let's see so let's talk a little bit about how one gets something that you've written in groff out of groff and into something else Uh, i happen to have a man page here written in groff you could you can find lots of these yourself all over your system Uh, they're usually in your user slash share slash man or user man or wherever you keep your man pages there's a bunch of them there so if you want to Take a look at a graph document. You've got lots to choose from. Now, there are more you know, modern sort of methods for generating man pages. You don't have to do it in graph. I mean, I think they end up in graph no matter what. I, I could be slightly wrong about that. But, um, like, Mandoc, I think, is M-A-N-D-O-C. I think that's a, a, a re- relatively modern way of, of writing man pages. But the, the, the traditional way is with this um this graph thing and it is it is much as i've described you type it into a text editor you you can you can view it once it's once it exists you can use a handy little graph viewer it's called man so for instance if you wanted to let's say i've got a an application called sport and i've written a man page for it so man dot slash sport dot eight the man page doesn't necessarily have to find everything in the man path. You can point it to to a file. Now you can also get. I mean, less uh, will also render a, a graph file as as like you know sort of like the def- the the desired output. It'll it'll actually render the graph in 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 text. It won't look like graph, which is nice. Um... If if that's what you want, if you're trying to see graph in something that that's kind of annoying, um, the only other way really is to either open it up in a text editor or just cat. Cat will show you the, the the unrendered text, and if you look at the unrendered text, you see all of the of, of any man page pretty much. You'll see those requests, and maybe sometimes you'll see a um, an argument to a request, and so on. So you can see exactly what your you know, looking for. Like, it's it's very, it's very, it is like HTML in the sense that, you know, again, back in those early days of HTML when you could actually just teach yourself HTML by looking at anybody else's web page, and you could kind of reverse engineer it. That, I do kind of feel like that's how Groff is. It's a little bit clunky because there, a lot of those macros, a lot of those requests don't make any good sense. What's the difference between a .sh and a .pp and a .tp and a .th? What does all that mean? Very difficult to kind of understand what you are doing, but then again, maybe you don't care, maybe all you want is a specific output, and as long as you can mimic that, that's enough for you. For man pages especially, I kinda feel like, 9 times out of 10, 8 times out of 10, that's probably enough. However, as I've said, there are other output uh, formats. This isn't just for man pages, and there's a command on... I'm assuming this comes with the grof package, I guess I ought to look really quick, just to make sure. Uh, yes it does. So this is called groffer, G-R-O-F-F-E-R, and there are lots of commands that come with groff, and we're not going to get to all of them um, today, certainly, Um, and I don't know how many we're going to cover. I mean, we'll cover all of them in some way, but there are a lot there. But I do want to talk about groffer because it is a, a very neat and convenient one. So Groffer, looking at the man page, displays Groff files and man pages on X and your TTY. It says the Groffer program is the easiest way to use Groff. It can display arbitrary documents written in Groff language uh, or other Roth languages that are compatible to the original Trough language. It finds and runs all the necessary Groff preprocessors so that you don't have to. And that is truly, truly useful. So for instance, if I just type in grapher, and then .slash eight, that's the name of the man page I want to, see, to, to, to view, I'll hit return, it opens up Ocular for me, and shows me a PDF render of the man page that I was hoping to view. And that's pretty cool. I mean, I could print right out of there. That's, that's a printable document. No problem. Um, let's, let's try something else. Let's do Groffer, and then we'll look in our man path, user man, man, uh, I don't know, man1, um, ansible, oop, ansible dash, no, nah, like, just ansible.one.gz. Once again, it finds everything that it needs to find in order for this to work, and it displays ansible.one.pdf for me in Ocular. And it's quite well formatted. It's got all the all the page numbers that it needs to have. It looks very nice. I could print that off without a problem. Super easy. Postscript done. So that's um, that's pretty fancy. That's a, a really nice feature of of, of Groff, or or rather, I should say, it's a really nice utility. Groffer is the other utility uh, that that comes with Groff that is you know directly related to what we're doing is the actual grof command and it um, it's a little bit more complex because it you know it it wants you to find all of the preprocessors yourself and that can be sometimes a little bit little bit daunting but in the devices section of the man page of grof, it shows you the different essentially the the output destinations of of your of your of whatever it is you're, you're processing and that is useful. So you've got a couple of different targets that you might want to output to. You have ASCII it's for your plain text, DVI for a text DVI format. I don't use that, but I I, I know some people know text quite well. HTML for HTML output. Um, I'm skipping over some here, but there's PostScript, there's PDF, UTF-8 text, and XHTML. That's seven useful output formats right there, and I've skipped over a couple of them. And it all just kind of comes with graph. This is... This is stuff that you get more or less for free when you're installing Groff. So that's kind of a powerful, a powerful aspect of Groff, which again I think is one of the arguments for Groff. Well, let's let's go through a, a document from start to finish. Uh, I mean, creating a document from start to finish just to get kind of a feel for the work for workflow. I think that's very frequently uh, a useful technique. So we'll, we'll we'll create a document here in Emacs and we'll call it temp.1, I'm going to invoke the inRoth mode, so that's just alt-x, Inroff dash mode. That puts me into the the, the correct mode for syntax highlighting and, and so on. And we know that the first line needs, or or we we can expect that the first line ought to be a dot th. And we know that because the macro, the, the first macro mentioned in this uh, section 4.1.2 in the GNU manual for graph says that that's the title section it sets the title of the man page uh, to title and the section to section which must have a value of one through eight okay so we can do this with a th and we'll give it the 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 title uh, example and i'm going to quote that just to be safe example and section number we'll give it one because uh, it, my example file is going to be in a man one for no good reason, it could be dot two, it could be dot, or, or rather, uh, it could be eight, it could be whatever. I'm going to put one. That corresponds to the man categorization: one being general commands, two being system calls, three being library functions, four being special files, five being file formats, six are games, seven is just miscellaneous, I think, and then eight is uh, sysadmin commands and possibly demons, or services I guess you could say. So, I'll just say it's one, because why not? It's just an example. So, kinda scrolling through here, we see that uh, .th is the title, .sh is set up an unnumbered section heading sticking out to the left, versus a .ss, which is set up an unnumbered subsection heading. I don't feel like we're in subsection heading yet, so we're going to make a .sh, and we'll call that name because that's, it's pretty usual, it's pretty common for man pages to give you the name, you know, print the name for you with a brief description. So we'll just type in example, this is, well, dash, this is an example graph file. And we'll do another uh, section, .sh, called options. And now we need to come up with a way to to do one of these fancy kind of like, you know give the reader the the option and then explain to them what the option does that kind of thing and i think what i've been using for that myself is a dot tp but you can also do dot ip for in, uh, indented paragraph but i think tp if i'm yeah set, set up tp does the indented paragraph with a label and so for options, I think that's typically what people use. So it's .tp, and then I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go to the next line, because I can, and I'll do dash dash uh, file. Now let's do da- dash dash option. Um, actually, you know what we'll do? Dash dash flag, and then comma dash f. Okay, and then next line, I will call it, um, I'll say defines the input or defines uh, a flag, I can't type right now, flag for this example command. And we could do that again, dot tp dash dash option comma dash o defines an option for this example command. There, that's our that's our document. It's got a th, an sh, another sh, a tp, and another tp. So now we're going to drop back out to our terminal, and uh, we'll uh, go into the source directory where I'm working first. Okay, there we go. And we'll just do a graph... Actually, let's do a less first, just to kind of troubleshoot this, make sure that we're on the right track. So I'm going to do a one. I get no errors, uh, and I get a really nice pre-formatted kind of official-looking header. It says example, and then parentheses 1 close parentheses, general commands manual, example 1. So I got all that for free, right? I didn't I didn't type in any of that. I just typed in that this was the name, the title was example, and the section was 1. And it, it made it look very nice and official for me. And then the next line I've got is uh, name, example, dash. This is an example graph file. And under that I could, ha- you know, I think... Traditionally, in man pages, you get like a little synopsis, and you get maybe a, a description of what its intended use is for, and so on. I didn't do any of that. I just go straight to options, and so I've got options here, and it's nice. It's nice, and it, it's in bold, and I've got a dash dash flag, comma dash f defines a flag for this example, and so on. And and you could look at existing man pages and and look at how other people format their 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 man pages and get the exact macros that they're using for for specific use cases um, this this isn't necessarily the, the the best format that I'm doing here I just it's just one that I think is easy to read and uh, easy to translate to different formats but all the macros are here there are more macros online apparently you can get more macros for these things um, and they it is pretty straightforward to use it's plain text. It is, a, it is a markup language. You're putting text into this document that you don't intend, really, to ever render. It's, um, you know, there are special, special elements that, that are never to be rendered and rather, rather affect the, the way that the thing is rendered. Okay, so now we're going to go back up over to the manual here. And there's a section called invocation. That section kind of gives you some idea of some of the common ways that you might invoke Groff, Not groffer, but just grof. And uh, it, it's got some okay examples. One of them is groff t which is uh, calling a preprocessor dash mandoc, which, uh, I don't know if that's actually correct, uh, dash, or at least for my use case, uh, dash capital T ASCII, so capital T is the one that you really need to pay attention to. That's the device setting, so this is the output setting. By invoking dash capital T ASCII, we're telling it to to translate our graph into ASCII text. And then we're giving it temp.1, because that's the file we wanted to look at. And if you press return after that, it just gives you it gives you essentially a, a a render of your graph, but without all of the pretty rendering. So it is just the ASCII text. If you pipe it through less at that point, then you do get the nice pretty render with all the bolded uh, text. And and that's really all I have. But if you were using something else, the underlines or italics, then it would be able to do that for you. The uh, another obvious output device, I guess, would be uh, UTF 8 that ought to work just as well and it does uh, and then let's even try for instance because we know from the man page that HTML was one of the targets so if you do graph um, dash dash T which again that's that's a preprocessor TBL is the preprocessor dash mandoc I don't know if that's I don't think that's actually required by any means, so let's drop that really quick. Yeah, that's... okay. So dash capital T HTML. So our device is going to be HTML, temp1, and then we can pipe it through less or not. We don't really have to. It spits it out um, as HTML, so less wouldn't isn't going to really help us at all. Um, and there it is. It's translated the man page into HTML. I guess what we could do is pipe it out to Conqueror, and uh, then we would be able to see the HTML render in, in a web rendering engine. Uh, and it doesn't look like that worked. Nope, did not work. I'll pipe it to Lua Kit and see if that works better for me. No, it doesn't. I guess I guess these things don't take input that way. That's fine. we'll'll we'll, we'll skip that. Um, oh, I'll bet you anything links would do it. Surely that's got to take input from a pipe. No, no, it doesn't, it doesn't appear that it does. Okay, well, I could redirect that to a file, obviously, and then open it in a, in a browser, and then I would get the satisfaction of seeing the rendered HTML, but it's not that important to me. We've seen the HTML code, and that's what I really wanted to demonstrate. Uh, and then for other, other output devices, you just want to look at the dash T option. Dash T space dev is how I find it most useful to, to, to search in the man page. You get the one at the top, and then you get the one in the options. That is Groff and Groffer, and I get. I think more importantly, that's sort of the general workflow of those. You can see kind of how easy it is to write some text and to translate it Pretty quickly into a couple of different formats. Is this the most flexible system ever? Probably not. It it seems to at least the the version that comes shipped on uh, on Slackware and I think on on most Linux systems is geared pretty heavily towards man pages. It, it is a technical format. It's it's not really something that you would want to necessarily do your typesetting for for that book of poetry that you have coming out, or, or or even a novel, probably. But certainly, it's something for man pages, and and if you are looking for a simple, well, relatively simple formatting system for uh, any any content, but you want that lightweight tool, tool chain, then Groff may well be something to look at. It's not something I'm going to look at anytime soon myself. I'm simply saying I think that is a niche that it is, can occupy if that's what you want to use it for and and aside from that, I don't know why you would want to use it. I mean if it's not for the lightweight tool chain and it's not for the man pages, I'm not sure what the appeal to graph would be um That said, maybe there's stuff that I'm not thinking about, for instance, is you know the 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 predictability of all of the tags involved with graph. I could see it making scripting relatively liberating. you could really probably find a lot of, you you could probably manipulate things pretty quickly with scripts just because you know exactly the commands, the requests, the macros that you're looking for. So maybe that, I don't know, maybe there's some strength there. Who knows? There's a lot of escaping that you have to do in Groff, too. I, I didn't really go over that, so that'll catch you out if you're not careful. And, um, yeah, it's got quirks. It's it's, a, it's it's different than what I think most of us are used to. But sometimes that's exactly what other people like about it. That's the kind of thing that, that makes something fun for, for some people. So check out Groff. Give it a go. See, see if you like it. See if it's useful to you. And if not, now you know it exists, you know generally what it's used for, and in the next episode we'll go over some of the other commands in that package. I will talk to you next time. World order, Cast. This has been Clatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the free node network usually in channels such as ogcast, planet, slacker media, slackware, couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Clatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Clatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at clatu@member.fsf.org. at member.fsf.org. That's clatu@member.fsf, at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, GNU and SlackerMedia.info. I will see you next time. You know, of course, that you are living in a power age.